0: And this week, he was elected on a platform of criminal justice reform. Can he fight the system from the inside? We'll talk about PBS's Philly DA. Plus, when they took down Sony Pictures, the world believed North Korean hackers were motivated by national pride. But there's more to the story. We'll get into the Lazarus heist. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of the These Are Their Stories podcast about law and order and SBU, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flint. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is author, private investigator, certified pet detective, and resident cat lady, Lara Bricker.
1: Hello, Lara. Hello, yeah. Thanks to all the cat love in our group this week for Rocky Flintstone and his new hiking pastime. (laughs) And finally,
2: videos of Lara taking the cat for a walk on a leash.
1: I know who
0: does that, Lara.
2: Okay, Lara. Okay. Why is that a problem? Question answered.
1: Why are you so offended by the cat on the leash?
2: I'm not. I'm not offended by it, but I just didn't think you could lead a cat.
1: He even killed a mouse on his little leash this week. (laughs) Listen, Rocky's not messing around.
3: It's not a smart mouse.
0: (laughs) And finally, our captain of woke cynicism, the author of the City Trilogy, host of season two of Strange Arrivals. That's a podcast. And our Patreon, Deep Dive Book Club podcast, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. So I guess we've gotten the chit chat out of the way in the intro, haven't we?
2: Well, people are dying to know what happened.
0: Oh yes, we need to give an update on last week's big event. Kevin, for the listeners who didn't check out last week's episode because they're lame, yeah. can you tell them what happened so that we can now get the update?
2: Right. Well we have we had a proposal.
0: Mm. Ooh, Not a marriage
2: right. proposal, but it was a civil union proposal. Which is like apparently a, a newer thing in Great Britain. It's for folks who want to be coupled legally, but they don't want to be married. They don't want
0: the patriarchal bullshit of marriage.
2: They don't want They don't want a plan, shit, get a registry.
0: No, they Why would that. you
2: want people to give you gifts?
0: Holy shit, they want the gifts. Just because you're a civil union doesn't mean you don't get
2: gifts. Oh, okay, good. All right, well, best of both worlds, I guess. So John Waters, our good friend from across the pond. Now. he uh, Now he's a, our good friend. He wanted to uh, propose, and so, because they're both listeners of the podcast, he thought it'd be fun to slip it in the podcast. So they say. And uh, so uh, we passed along the proposal to Rachel, and she said, when I heard you talking about civil partnerships yesterday... I got ready for a story of spousal betrayal, or maybe a civil partner being bludgeoned to death by their other half, and then was utterly shocked to hear our names. I thought John had simply spliced himself into an existing (laughs) episode of CWO. (laughs) but was then stunned into silence to hear you continue to talk about civil partnerships and baffling mid-management HR role. HR. HR. I love when they use the H as a H. HR role play. I was so excited to hear you guys talking, I completely forgot to answer John's question. Oh. But ultimately said yes. Yay! It was a bit of a tactical error playing the episode before (laughs) bed, as I couldn't sleep all night, but can you imagine getting the episode into waiting all day to make her play it?
0: did he get some, though? Like, at night? Well, let's read on. (laughs) Jesus. He (laughs) couldn't sleep all night,
2: but I'm putting this down to the excitement of uh, being featured on Crime Riders, rather than the proposal itself. Ah. Only kidding. (laughs) Well, it's probably 50-50. Rebecca is, of course, welcome to our civil partnership. And it'd be great to meet you guys one day. Can
0: I use Toby's ad money to fly myself over there?
2: <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, he has
0: a whole other hit podcast. He doesn't need his ad.
2: He can money. write it off, right? <laughs> we have come across a quandary, however. We're not Uh-oh. sure what you are when you are about to civil partner. Fiancés. As engaged doesn't seem to fit.
0: Ooh. They're fending. You know, so what is this in between? I know what it is. What? They're. Hen-gaged. <laughs>
2: They're scared of one another. Oh, uh, scared. i uh, <laughs> uh, scared. scared. Um, I don't know. They're promised to one another. It's like no. one of those golden Please. promise rings. you no. get. You're, you're you're betrothed. 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 You're
0: betrothed. you What's the thing when you when you have Yeah, you, you've
2: signed a letter of agreement. What's the yeah, thing when right. you've bought a
0: house? Do you they know what they are? Under, they're under contract. Under contract. Under agreement. They're obligated.
2: Yes, yeah. under agreement. Yes. Oh shit, I lost the rest of the email. Anyway, that was uh so that's that's the answer so th- she said yes everybody. <laughs> Listen, Congratulations. I,
0: I was Hooray. listening back to last week's episode which by the way I know Toby never does. Mm-hmm. And that's I true. I listened and I heard John's message again and I realized Kevin we all horribly misinterpreted his message about HR. We all literally What's thought that? like he went to work and HR said he could do it. No, he was making a joke that like he was the company and HR liked her so oh, she could
2: say. Oh, but the I way- thought you like had to like fill out no, paperwork and all
3: that yeah, stuff. I it was like, well... Like, if we can't, if we're not going to get benefits, then we'll
0: go through with that. All of our listeners got it, and then we were just like, wow, why does HR have to approve civil unions in that country? That's messed up. No.
2: They took me in the office, and they told me all the ways that I could benefit from death and disability.
0: (laughs) He was making a joke that we
2: didn't get. We didn't get. Anyway. Um, It's that British sense of humor, which is so cutting. It's cultural. It's cultural.
0: Please send me the date. Anyway, congratulations.
1: And please send me the date for your civil union, because legit- I'll try to come. Yeah, JetBlue is flying direct now. Boston to London, baby.
2: JetBlue. The,
1: the, the flight's to London. Would you want to
2: be six hours on a JetBlue flight? JetBlue
1: is fine. They got
3: the TV on the.
2: T- what you don't want seat. is United. I love the
1: JetBlue. I, you, yeah,
2: I want to go anywhere on United. Sorry, United. We employees. did British
0: Air, which is fancy. British as fuck. Air was nice. We were way
2: in the back, Ceilings wedged in, high. and we still got free drinks. So
3: we went on Virgin, and I uh, did. I tell you this. I I ordered a lemonade, just thinking they were going to give me like a Minute Maid lemonade. So they yeah. brought me this can of lemonade, and I was sitting, like, my wife was on one side, and this, like, high school or college-age young woman was sitting on the other side. So I got the thing. You know how the lemonade kind of settles at the bottom? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I took the can, and I shook it up. Oh, to, like, Jesus Christ. And then I, like, not realizing it was carbonated, and then I popped <laughs> it, and the thing went.
0: Nice. Like, oh. within,
3: like, <laughs> 25 minutes of taking off on a flight. Oh, that's so it was a So five sticky hours.
2: What a total twit. <laughs> what a twit.
0: A t- They would say twit. That was absolutely
3: tea of you.
2: Yes, yeah. they
0: would say that. That and woman say, was looking Laura, at me it's like, It's not shocking when you say that in a British accent. It's just a regular word there. The British it use t- in a it completely different way, yeah. <laughs> yeah. By the way, I still will beep it out because people in the U.S. are just not fucking ready for this yes, shit.
2: Yes, we talk about something being bloody. We're, we, it's it's
0: know, not a big it's deal. It's bloody.
2: It's literally bloody. And you know? bloody
0: there it's is, not is a, like, Here. It's like the same. Okay. Should we start the stupid podcast now? Just get it going? People are dying.
2: Yeah. Speaking of the British.
0: All right. Let's get it done. Leading off. It's the opening salvo in a battle to destroy Sony Pictures.
1: And by the end, half of its global digital network will be wiped out.
0: Before it could release the comedy, The Interview, in which Seth Rogen and James Franco kill Kim Jong Un. Sony Pictures was hit by North Korean hackers. They destroyed data, released embarrassing emails, and unnerved cybersecurity experts around the world. For Sony, the damages just keep on mounting, and so does the pressure to bring the hackers to justice. The big question, is North Korea really behind the attack? But the hackers weren't North Korean military. They were a state-sponsored cyber gang who've been operating with impunity for years. Known as the Lazarus Group, the hackers have launched attacks against companies, nations and was behind a billion dollar hack of a bank in Bangladesh.
1: A billion dollars with a B. And they were asking them, why did you send these billions of dollar transactions? It was a very scary situation.
0: In the BBC podcast, The Lazarus Heist hosts Jeff White and Gene Lee explain how the communist regime unleashed a gang of cybercriminals onto the West. Are they in for the thrill, for the politics or for the money? Now, we are going to be talking about plot points from The Lazarus Heist. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes for our thumbs up or thumbs down review. Now Kevin, uh the Lazarus heist. Yes. This this group being called the Lazarus Group. Great name, right? Good branding.
2: It's great biblical, yes. I mean if you're gonna do it from the dead.
0: I mean if you're gonna do a thing, uh why not do that thing? Now listen, this is a, a podcast literally about like internet and financial crimes. It's not hot, right?
2: No, I wouldn't no, I wouldn't say that. I mean, Right. It's not exciting as far as the story goes, if you want to use that term. But I feel like the podcast is constructed in a way that it knows what it's supposed to be. It's a uh, a retrospective of their story. It's not hunting warhead. They're not looking for the Lazarus group. They're not taking them down or anything like that. So the show knows what its lane is, and it's trying to stay in that lane to tell us a story about something we didn't know. We knew about the Sony Pictures hack in sort of broad strokes. So to go on that and find out, no, this wasn't the North Korean government per se. It's actually a really interesting group of cyber criminals that have been doing other shit. And here's what it was.
0: Now, Lara, we've heard about the Sony hack. One of the things that struck me hearing that story is, A, how it was done, which was interesting, but also hearing, like... I don't know about you, but I didn't think the Sony hack was a big fucking deal when it happened. I was like, so what? People know about the plots of movies. But then you hear about employees who's you know, not only was their personal data compromised, but then they became like unemployable because of random shit in their Mm. HR file. What did you think about just hearing about the Sony hack in more detail and the fact that it actually was a bigger deal than I thought it was? I can't speak for you, but I didn't think it was such a big deal.
1: Yeah, no, I didn't either. And I, But I think it was a really good lead into this story because I think a lot of people are probably in the same boat that I was in, which is like, we had heard about that. We'd probably seen it on the news. We're kind of like... Superficially familiar with it. So to lead in with something like that, that we I mean, it's me specifically was thinking like, oh, it was it was a hack. Somebody was upset with Sony Pictures, but not knowing the extent to which this like international mastermind hacking gang was going. It was a really good jumping off point. And I also like the details when when the details come out about how, like, you understand why the printers weren't working mm. and, and <laughs> specifically then why the printers weren't working in other cases like the the Bangladesh case. You know, I think it was kind of a good segue into the bigger picture. And Jeff, the host, definitely sets that up in that first episode within like the first 10 minutes in terms of like, this is the story. This is why we're telling it. It's related to this to kind of give you that, what I always call the nut graph. So mm. I, I appreciated that part of it. Uh, by the way, Kevin, today, when our printer wasn't working, I was like,
2: fuck.
1: <laughs> um, so, North Korea! Yeah, especially since I opened an email from you this week, Rebecca, speaking, of, oh, oh my gosh, i Yeah, <laughs> I got
0: email hacked at work. It was not a good Spoofed. thing. Spoofed. It was
1: real bad. Spoofed
0: and hacked. Hacked. And spoofed. It was real bad. Mm. So, Toby, the beginning of the story kicks off with the Sony hack, but the Sony hack happened because Seth Rogen, in his very Seth Rogen way, by the way, I will just say personally, like, I really like, love, and respect Seth Rogen for like a lot of the things he's done. And like,
2: you watched the movie with me, right? Yeah, Yeah. but he's definitely, I mean, let's, we're
0: going to talk about the actual movie in a second, but just like, I just don't want to, we're going to, we're about to shit on Seth Rogen for a second, (laughs) but I don't want to shit on him generally. But, Toby, you sent me a note. What the fuck was he thinking? What did you mean by that note? Uh
3: well I think it's a little self explanatory, but it was interesting when they go back and they say, you know, we looked and in, you know, film history or whatever, there was only one other case they could find of a movie with actual sitting head of state being sort of fictionally murdered in the in the story. But it seems like you would do about fifteen minutes of research and realize that Kim Jong-un is not going to see the humor in this (laughs) and uh, that it's probably going to be a problem. And like at a minimum, it's going to be kind of a diplomatic problem. And then, of course, it didn't end up being the minimum. So, and again, yeah, I like Seth Rogen, too. Um,
0: by the way, Toby, do you remember Team America, World Police? which also I love that had like movie. But it also had, like, a North Korean This is his
3: father, Kim Jong... Kim Jong-il. But, Hill, but, he was, yeah. but he was played by a puppet. Yes. There's like, a different... Right.
0: Which is very different. By the way, we and should mention...
3: Where Hans Blix comes?
0: Yes. Our friend Paul Bay, by the way, was in the interview. Just want to say that. Hey, oh, Paul.
3: He? Oh, really? He oh. was
0: in the interview. Yes. Anyway, go ahead, Toby. What were you
3: saying? <laughs> uh, Team America. I don't know you...
0: Fuck yeah. Yeah. You love Seth. You like Seth Rogen, too. But that's where we left off.
3: Oh, it just seems like it was one of those things where, you know, there had to be, like, I hate to say adult in the room because Seth Rogen is an adult, but there needed to be someone to be like, you know what, man? Like... Either don't do it, or just make up some country and like make it pretty clear that that's who you're talking about, but just don't mm-hmm. name them. Yeah, I mean, there's there's ways around this. Um,
0: like the Kumari on The West Wing. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well,
3: there was that that
2: um, remake of Red Dawn and the invaders. You know, in the in the original, it was Russia, but it, and I guess we didn't really give a fuck about in the Cold War whether it was the Russians or not. Oh, that yeah. made sense. But in the remake of Red Dawn, it was originally the Chinese were the invaders, but they changed it and digitally changed the uniforms and stuff to China make them
0: freak the fuck out
2: because China, which is a way more because they fit into the whole cinema distribution of the world. You know, it's a huge market.
0: Yeah. A movie makes 200 million dollars here, but it makes a million, mili- dollars around the China. world. It yeah. does. Yeah. But yeah.
2: especially in China. Yeah. So just an example of sort of the influence at least that the corporations are aware that doesn't it's not in a vacuum you know when you step out on the political stage but damn apparently it is not a joke So journalists working in North Korea, when you put out a movie about journalists who are spies. That's right. Because if two people aren't going to find that funny, it's going to be a North Korean journalist and a North Korean diplomat.
0: That's right. And by the way, the co-host of this podcast is a journalist who was working in North Korea.
2: She made that point. Yes. Wasn't laughing much. And
0: she was like, (laughs) "Ah, fuck. Oh, Laura, can we just talk about the mechanics of that? Because one of the things I love about her narrative is talking about the counterfeit money. And how in North Korea, like her credit cards didn't work, like currency doesn't work. So the way that you pay for things, she was running what was the Associated Press Office in North Korea. And the way that she made that office run was just by getting a pile of cash and just paying people with cash. And then, of course, we found out that the North Koreans had figured out this way to make incredibly accurate counterfeit bills. What did you think about that storyline? And just can you imagine working that way,
1: Lara? Well, there was a lot about her working situation that was just amazing to listen to. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of crazy because, I mean, I think at the time you're you're just kind of like, huh, okay, I guess if this is what I have to do. And then how she was listening to like every morning she was waking up and hearing, I can remember like the song about Kim Jong-un's father. Yeah, the propaganda song. And like, <laughs> Just, I mean, maybe I missed this part, but you know, like nobody has internet, but how does she get internet? I was curious about that. I mean, is she having to like airdrop her stuff somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, it was a really interesting.
2: She she went to a Panera like everybody else.
1: We heard about a guy in this podcast who powered his computer with a gas generator. I know. Ooh. I I like welcome to my childhood, yeah. seriously. Um, but yeah. No, I mean it was By the was way,
2: super- people can't to stop talking about your neighbor who was killed in a volcano explosion, <laughs> but again we digress.
1: I well, I know. And but you know, she was also like to backtrack um, one time, she has this huge old barn, and she was shooting <laughs> pigeons in the barn. Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. I want to say, I just want to tell you, somebody came up with the perfect analogy. It's like Rose telling San Olaf stories. Okay. Listen, we we, we need to like
0: launch a whole other podcast about your neighbor who was killed in a, in a
1: volcano well, explosion. She, oh, Anyway, she also got knocked WTF off her, her ladder in the barn shooting pigeons by the back... <laughs> thing from her gun. Cool. <laughs> Carry on. There was a, cool.
3: there was like a brief moment of tension where I wasn't sure whether you were talking about your neighbor or the co-host of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but they clearly became your neighbor.
0: <laughs> so, so Toby, one of the other details we hear in this, which I've heard before and it's a fucking amazing story. I mean, we're talking about the podcast, but we're also just talking about North Korea because right. For the, like, global danger that North Korea is, and for the, the millions of people who live there that are oppressed and living in these horrible conditions, like, it's also, it's fucking weird. I mean, it's just, it's a yeah. whole thing. It's like, it's like The Hunger Games, it's like a post-apocalyptic movie. We hear this story about how the leader of North Korea liked... A move, like a certain kind of movies and he liked that actress and had the movie. So he kidnapped that actress and her director husband and like forced them for eight years to make movies just for him. That's North Korea. Thoughts, Toby?
3: Well, so there's this great book. Uh It's called A Kim Jong-il Production and it's by <laughs> Paul Fisher. And what it, what it does, I think, better than I, I think you get kind of a hint at it in the podcast. But what the book does really well is kind of show how like North Korea is like this weird mix of like farce and menace. Mm. You know, it's just, there's just such weird stuff. And, and, and Paul Fisher really gets into just a lot of like this weird kind of kitschy stuff that that is really sort of wrapped up with with North Korean sort of self-identity. Uh, they're yeah, very nationalist like, there
0: we should mention that the, it's like a, that's a huge part of it is their nationalist country like there's a whole right. xenophobic and there's a thing
3: about like a unicorn that yes. lived in a cave and, yes what uh, yes yeah, I thought the Icelandic weird. were weird
2: with their uh, their elves the
3: elves
0: no no oh,
3: yeah. but then you can find so anyway he he did this kidnapping uh, you can actually on YouTube there's this one great movie that actually is up on YouTube it's like a monster movie that's pretty wild but highly recommend the book. Um, but it, it does. Like Kim Jong-il, like movies were a really, really big thing in North Korea. Like that that was one of the things that he had wanted to do was to create sort of a world respected national cinema and obviously didn't quite make it. But his best idea to attempt was to kidnap people.
0: Yeah, it's a good idea. It would be like if someone wanted to make a podcast about other podcasts and they just yeah. kidnapped you, Toby. And they were right. like, Toby is the key. <laughs> <laughs> Toby this. is the key. It could not happen without this. Kevin, what did and you- And I've been
3: trapped for almost eight
2: years. That's right.
0: Yeah. So Kevin, are you going like, to kidnap someone?
2: That, the Arabian Nights, that story. No, it, it <laughs> reminds me of um, the movie Tropic Thunder where yes. they kidnapped the actor and made him do Simple Jack.
0: <laughs> yes, yes.
2: <laughs> I see you in my head movie.
0: Listen, that movie, we could talk about it all day. It could be a whole podcast talking about that movie. It
2: doesn't hold up. No, i no. be the am, first before you at me on Twitter. Pro, it doesn't hold up. I'm
0: sorry. I am pro-Tropic Thunder. You can at me on Twitter all you want. So, Laura, let's talk about... The podcast makes a turn. I mean, It starts with the Sony hack, but then it makes a turn sort of talking about the mechanics of how North Korea got into hacking when... None of the citizens have 24-hour electricity, nor internet access. And then we hear about this group and this, like, incredible billion-dollar bank heist they tried to pull off, which, by the way, also hinged on a broken printer. Laura, what'd you think
1: about that? That was a crazy story. Um, You know, I, I think if you're looking at, you know, we start small, coming in with the story of Sony, and then we're expanding, and... First of all, the fact that North Korea where for the most part the majority of people don't even have internet access or access to anything outside of the world, the fact that this country has assembled this like elite squad of hackers that actually almost managed to do this billion dollar heist is is pretty astounding. Hmm. And and listening to the details of how it played out, I mean, I felt like I was like listening to one of these like Ocean's Eleven kind of stories.
3: Every time that the printer tried to send a printout to the printer, they would simply overwrite those print jobs or those files that contain content to print with simply zeros. So nothing would print. So instead, there was all this blank paper in
1: the printer. You know in the heist movies when the thieves take over the surveillance cameras and make it look like nothing has happened in the vault? Well, this is the digital version. I know I've done this when I check my child's social media, and if I log in from my home computer, I immediately log in afterwards to his uh, Gmail, where it says, an unfamiliar device logged into your Instagram. And I'm like, delete, nice. delete, delete. Laura delete. Good
0: Wow. Good
1: job. That is why you are a certified
0: private investigator, Laura Bricker. This is why I could be potentially a hacker, Maybe not. But <laughs> I just say one thing that's most important about going into your kids or anyone else's email account. Look in the scent box. That's where all the good shit is. Yeah. Look
1: in the scent box. OK, go ahead, Laura. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And the deleted. Um,
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: just saying. So I think just the irony here of this group of hackers and where they're coming from is just so huge. I mean, that's what was kept coming back to me as I was listening to all of this play out in terms of how these people were like basically recruited to learn to be hackers. I mean, Hmm. it was nuts. Yeah. You
2: know, I think Laura brings up something about uh, her interest in the episode about the Bangladesh bank heist. Because while the Sony hack part of this story is really interesting and we have an affinity for it because Hollywood is so American, right I thought the interesting part of this series was the bank heist and how they did it by you know the, the hack and the way they timed everything and they waited all these all this time to find sort of the perfect lunar cycle where there was a confluence of weekends and holidays and international time zones and stuff where they could make a hit and it would be hard to chase down and stop it. I thought that was really interesting.
1: So you see the elegance of the attack. They did it Thursday night with a very defined purpose. When Friday, New York is working, Bangladesh Bank is off. By the time Bangladesh Bank comes back online, FRB is off. So it delayed the whole discovery by almost three days. There's other
2: parts of the series, though, that I don't find as interesting. Yeah, no kidding. You know, it's It's dry. But I still, and and, you know, we're not to the end, and so maybe it's unfair to say this, but I still don't have a good sense, and maybe nobody does, but I don't have a good sense of who the Lazarus group really is. Right. Are they a paramilitary group because they've been enabled by the North Korean government, or are they essentially cyber gangsters? Yeah. Because why do you rob a bank for a billion dollars- For the government, unless you know that's how they fund the government, as has been postulated by one of the CIA guys. But it just seems like they're just supposed to be like pirates that are causing mayhem, I suppose. But in any event, I still think those two big things—the Sony hack and the bank heist—are sort of the really interesting things, and the rest seems to be a little bit of filler.
0: I will say, in terms of timing, yeah. Even my like very minor email scam scheme that happened to me this week that was very disruptive for me for, like, two days of my life. Yeah. It kicked in at 11.30 on a Tuesday night, and that was intentional, and I'll never forget it, and it was terrible. Because
2: you could probably get eight to ten hours before oh it's my discovered, God. right? Yeah, yeah,
0: it was so much time before it was discovered. Uh, so, Toby, what do you think about this? I mean, it's the power of a state turning its, you know, I toward a criminal enterprise underlining it. This has just been in the news with the oil pipeline hack, right?
3: Yeah. Well, I just, you know, even a place like North Korea, which is impoverished and really shut off from from the rest of the world, for the most part, if you decide to put the national effort behind criminal activity, you can be pretty powerful Hmm. in the criminal scene. So, you know, I thought that stuff about the crystal meth um, I'm sure I'm going to get this wrong. I thought I'd read about how North Korea was producing crystal meth, like this very, very pure crystal meth. And I thought they were trying to smuggle it out on like these tiny little submarines. Yeah. And one of them sank. Yeah. was like Breaking this. Bad.
0: I remember doing a story about that on the talk show I used to produce. So yes, you are not wrong in that tiny memory. I remember it too.
3: So anyway, I, I just think... You know, I, I don't think anything happens like that, those hackers in North Korea without the government having something to do with it. I don't think there's that much freedom or that much ability to like be online and have enough power and all that stuff. I mean, I, that that's just seems like you need some kind of state help hmm. for that in that country. So... I don't know. I thought, that was, I thought that was kind of interesting, but I agree with you guys. There, there were parts that were very interesting, and then there were parts that had sort of more of that, like, uh, corporate training vibe. Um, <laughs> yeah, which... I agree mm-hmm.
1: with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like the primer on North Korea. Well, listen, the one thing I'll say before we get to reviews
0: is, the one thing I learned from this podcast, in America, when your kid gets into the math leads or the math Olympiad, it's like, wow, they're good at math. In North Korea, it can, like,
1: elevate you into a whole new class.
2: In North Korea, math does you.
1: Exactly. Yeah. No, I was going to say, I think one of the things that like, I don't know why it just struck me as so funny was the part about Kim Jong-un's brother being like the Eric Clapton fanatic. Yeah, yes. and, and like the guy who was like, he's so good with the internet. He can find all of the Eric Clapton music. and He I'm knows like, how to Google. I was like, wow. But like that that was like the basis of somebody being good at the internet was that they could look up all the Eric Clapton songs. I think that was very that that really set the scene for me. Didn't you also find it interesting, Laura, that he um, sent his
0: kids to private schools in Europe under fake names? I mean, yeah. doesn't it like speak to sort of the hypocrisy of every dictator or every like totalitarian yeah. leader? Like, this is the rules for you. But for us, we get to go to England and, like, just live there under fake names. Like, it's very, you know, it is what it is. It is corruption. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out The Lazarus Heist? It's a podcast from the BBC
1: World Service. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for The Lazarus Heist? Um, This is going to be, like, a mild thumbs up for me. I didn't love this. Um, You know, I think the story is interesting. They had all the right material. The the thing that I had, and I think this is just subjective, the thing I had a hard time with is I felt like it got pretty information dense at times and kind of lost the initial narrative promise of Mm. what they said it was going to be about in the first episode. And then there were times it it felt very scripted with the two hosts. Like I felt like we were getting this like, kind of lesson on North Korea that didn't sound as like conversational as I would have preferred. So, I mean, it was interesting. I think that the story about the heist is interesting, but it it wasn't like my favorite thing that we've ever listened to. Toby Ball, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for the Lazarus heist?
3: I'm a thumbs up. I mean, I I kind of felt like 80% of it was really good and interesting, but the 20% that wasn't was was kind of a tough go. Uh, But I, you know, Kind of stuff I'm interested in. I I liked, you know. I, I agree with Laura that the delivery wasn't ideal, but the the sort of information about North Korea I thought was interesting. The complexity of the heist and stuff was definitely good. Um, so I give it, you know, a, a solid thumbs up.
0: Kevin Flynn,
2: I'm a thumbs up. I'm I'm with Laura. I mean, I think it's it's not bad. Uh, so you can't give it a thumbs down. It's informative. It's interesting. It's, it's not entertaining. I think it's probably the best way of saying mm. it. There are parts of it that are really good. I mean, I, 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 the dive into the, the Sony Pictures hack is great. And the, the sort of the drama around the bank heist is, is super. I think I'd rather see this as a book. And read it, you know, on the page where you can get into it, and you know some of it be a little more forgiving than listening to it on a condensed podcast. But you know, if I think I'd say if you're interested in this topic or you want to you know sort of be a little more adventurous, get away from sort of the conventional true crime, you could listen to this. But you know otherwise, it's just you know it there are some other things that might be you know more in line, but can't really fault them for doing a good job of putting it together. So, Uh, A mild thumbs up.
0: Yeah, I'm a mild thumbs up, too. The reporting is really good. There's something about the way that it's put together does feel distant. There are moments where it's really good and you're like, why can't the whole thing be like this? And I realize those moments are the less clinical moments where Joff or Jeff and Jean are just talking. And those moments are lovely, but then when they're sort of scripting, like back and forth, I say this, you say this, I say this, you say this. That's when I just found it to be a little bit more clinical.
2: Some of it seems like authentic, and yeah. some of it seems scripted. Yeah, and
0: yeah. I also feel like some of the like it gets the, the. I love, I do love a procedural story that gets into the procedure of how things happen and why they happen and the details of how they criminals executed it. But sometimes those details actually aren't that interesting. So I just thought some of those expositional moments were just a little bit broad and too long and too labored. Other than that, if this could just be tightened, uh, keep more of those naturalistic moments, it would have gotten a much bigger thumbs up for me because I am fucking fascinated by the inner workings of North Korea and sort of like how things work there. In a way, like it's, it's way more interesting than even a place like Russia because like you could fly to Russia and walk around if you want to. Can't do that in North Korea. So, yeah, mild thumbs up for me. I, it could have been stronger with, like, a tighter edit for The Lazarus Heist. Still a great title, by the way.
1: Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Era's Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Moving on.
0: Kevin Flynn, here we are in the business section of the, the podcast. Bis- can't move
2: on just yet. We got to do business in the business section.
0: Da-da-da. What is happening on our Patreon right now, Kevin?
2: Well, right now we have uh, the Crime Writers on After Show. What are
0: we talking about?
2: We're talking about the award winners from the Ambi Awards, the first Ambi Awards, which is supposed to be like the podcast Oscars. So we're going <laughs> to get our takes on whether we thought that the Academy got it right. I'm
0: slow clapping. You're
2: slow ca- clapping. We're also going to be talking a little bit about that shocking episode five of Mayor of Easttown, But now we know, sweet listener, by the time you're hearing this, episode six will have happened, and we are waiting for episode seven, which is the finale. So, telling you right now, this is what we're doing. We have a Crime Writers on Mayor of Easttown bingo card. Whoa. All you have to do is you go online to the link that you'll see in your show notes, and we'll put it on social media. Get your own bingo card. We'll also card. be on
0: our crime Raiders on a website and then post for this episode. We're gonna
2: put it anywhere we can put it.
0: We're gonna tweet it. We're gonna Facebook it.
2: What you do is get your own card, or get a couple of cards. Watch the finale, and then mark your bingo card. And the first person that tweets their you know bingo card with a you know straight line, diagonal line, you know how bingo cards work. With the first one who does that to the hashtag CWO Mayor. M-A-R-E. You're going to win something. We don't Ooh. have anything. I don't know. What, what
0: gonna is it going to be? <laughs> Dinner with Toby?
2: We're no. going gonna to send your phone number. Are they get a chance
0: to brush my hair? We're
2: going to give you a big glass of water. Ooh. Ooh. That reminds me, in last week's Crime Writers on After Show... If you missed it, you missed a great one ah. because we had our friend Suzanne Soretta uh, on. She is the accent guru. Yes. That's the name of her business, I believe, is really? Accent Guru. Yes. She's an accent coach, so she can teach you different ways to, you know, if you're an actor, to to, to to speak your dialogue. And so she tried to teach all of us how to do that very particular Philadelphia accent that Kate Winslet employs in uh, Mare of Easttown. Here's a little clip.
0: So what's the quintessential don't. phrase that we need to learn? So to I do... was going
1: to teach you a phrase, okay. and it was, oh, no, don't ask, don't ask my daughter. Don't ask my daughter.
0: Oh, no, don't ask my
1: daughter.
2: Oh, no, don't ask. Don't, don't, don't ask.
0: ask. Don't, no?
1: Ask. Yeah. Yeah. ask. So was like oh, no. Ask. Don't ask my don't daughter. A- daughter. 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 Daughter.
3: Daughter.
1: To drink water.
3: The drink, drink drink, water. Water. <laughs> drink. <laughs> drink water. At
0: her ready yeah. ready for this one yeah. at her audition <laughs> at her audition
3: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> audition but
0: add an l in there audition at her audition
3: do, do her my daughter <laughs>
0: Wow, that was a great after show. Is that the uh, was that representative of the quality of the Crime Writers on After Show? Completely.
2: <laughs> we have zero duds. <laughs> also in your Patreon, um, coming up is the next edition of Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club. Toby, what is the book that everybody needs to finish up so they can follow along with the episode?
3: It's called uh, Veritas by Ariel Sabar. And uh, it's about the uh, gospel of Jesus's wife, which was a forged little strip of papyrus that a um, sort of well-known Harvard biblical, not biblical, but Gnostic scholar said was this thing that claimed that Jesus was married, it turned out it was a hoax. Super interesting book. I'm not doing it justice. It's really is there stuff. some
2: like a Da Vinci Code DNA and sort of this yeah. the background of the story? Except
3: yeah, good. so it's coming out or it comes out. This thing shows up after the Da Vinci Code, but it is sort of you know ties in a little bit to this idea of uh, that Dan Brown had of like the divine feminine and mm-hmm. and all this stuff. So interesting got a got an awesome panel uh julie lowry henderson nice dick yes um lauren bright pacheco
0: from murder in
3: oregon yes and uh dr shiloh from la not so confidential wow
0: jesus toby you are getting superstars yeah. Yeah. To be on our Patreon book club podcast that only our patrons can hear.
3: I had to run a contest to get a guest for these are the How stories.
2: How are yeah. you
0: booking <laughs> such fancy people to be on this show that only our subscribers hear?
3: Why do they want to read the books that I want to read?
2: Because I they don't know.
1: like talking to you? Yeah.
2: You're a superstar.
1: I mean, all I can get is Malibu Ken to join me at this point. So, Nice. Yeah. You're doing good, Toby.
2: <laughs> and Laura Bricker has an upcoming episode of Leave It to Bricker. And Laura, I know you were working on a couple of different topics. What did you settle on?
1: Um, well, don't worry. We're going to have a shorter space between them this time. So first off, it, this is a big week. This last week was a big week in the U.S. For those of us who... Don't have VPN access. Line of Duty season six premiered. Mm-hmm. And I did a. Is that the
2: Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, and the wee donkey that everyone's talking about? Yes. Right. And
1: I became like a huge Line of Duty fan during the pandemic. I binged all the seasons. And so I did kind of what we did to Toby when we had him watch Game of Thrones. Yes. And he had no idea. I, I made Fireman Ken actually sit down with me for the premiere. And he was like, what's. What What am I watching? Yeah, but I will give some um, I'll give my overview and some reaction because a lot of people out there are really excited that we can finally get this in the U.S. Yeah, everybody else has already seen it. And I hope the donkey doesn't mean the same fate as that podcast we reviewed last <laughs> week. I'm just saying.
0: All I got to say is I really hope The Split, the next season of The Split, is also available to us at ASAP. I need to figure out this VPN situation. I don't get it. I want it. It's I a want It's virtual
2: private things. network.
1: No, I know what it is. I have yeah. it at my job. It's a
2: network that's private but virtually. I
1: know right. I have it. You can use it apparently somehow to get like ITV. Or, That's like- what I need. Apparently everyone in the world knows how to do this tech thing except for me. I don't know how to do it either, Rebecca. I
0: have- it's Someone- like
2: a 1920s speakeasy. If you Someone- know the password, you can come in and get the gin juice.
0: Someone send me an email at on at gmail.com and tell me how to do this. But make it easy. Because even though
1: I am tech savvy, I am fucking old. So that'll be out this week. And then there'll be a soon coming, leave it to Bricker that I haven't chased down yet. A man in the town next to me, digging in his garden, doing his spring landscaping, unearthed a skull.
2: What? Why do we got to wait for that? A human skull?
1: Yeah. I have Don't defi- give it away. A skull no. is all we know. He thought it was a volleyball. In fact, <laughs> like,
2: uh... it
1: was a skull. <laughs> so
2: surprise, it'll be here uh, as
1: soon. You may have a soon in back-to-back leave it to Bricker. If I can find the man with the skull, I haven't found it oh, yet. That's that great. was like the time that
0: I'm sorry to hijack the business section, but like about a month ago, uh, I you know I walk on the trails in my town every morning, and Stuart ran off. He's getting like a little bit senile, but he still sometimes runs off and comes back with things. And he came back with what I thought was a branch it was a fucking skull it was like a goddamn Mm. long ass deer skull with like a big old thing and i put it in a tree and it's still there and i all i can think about is all the people who are walking on that trail right now who turn the corner and like see the skull anyway so kevin uh this is the business section i know we have other business to do do we have any patreon patron saints of the week this week
2: our patreon patron saints are Mindy Fried and Ashley Ellis. Bless you.
0: Can we just say one last thing before we end this? Yeah. Sign up for our newsletter, guys. It's epic. It's free. It's the Patreon you have to pay. The newsletter is free. Get it at crimewriterson.com. I swear to God, it's worth it. The newsletter cracks me up every week because my dear husband writes it. All right, Kevin, does thus end the business section? Thus ends the business section. Let's fade that music out. Moving on.
2: Obviously this individual will not be the next district attorney Philadelphia.
0: But these are not normal times. In 2017, former civil rights attorney Larry Krasner was swept into the Philadelphia DA's office on a progressive platform of systemic criminal justice reform. He pledged to reduce incarceration, reform bail policies, change juvenile justice practices and decline the death penalty.
3: The policy was essentially lock them up, lock more of them up, lock them up for longer That is what you saw for 30 years, day after day after day after day after day. That's what you saw.
0: Once sworn in, the new DA shook things up by rooting out old guard prosecutors who didn't agree with his philosophy. Krasner also faced backlash from victims, the media, and the powerful police union convinced he would undermine the way law enforcement has operated for decades in the city of brotherly love.
3: My attitude about police is real simple. I think when you wear a uniform, you come correct. You take an oath, you have a duty, you come correct. If you think this is romper room for beating people up and stealing from them, you're going to have a problem with me.
0: The PBS series Philly D.A. provides an unprecedented look inside Krasner's office as he pursues equal justice reforms while fighting a machine resistant to change. It also brings the voices of his detractors, of crime victims, of those affected by his reform policies and staff members who both support and oppose his efforts to repair a broken system. Now, spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Philly DA. So, if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes for our thumbs up or thumbs down review. Lara Bricker, this is a sweeping fucking series with access to literally everyone that matters. I find myself being like awed at the fact that, I mean, I believe that like, you know, Krasner would be like, sure, follow me around. But we get everyone, cops, judges, crime victims, crime perpetrators, inmates, other people who
1: were fired.
0: What do you think of the access that we get in this documentary?
1: It's like fucking tremendous. I mean, like you said, you've kind of laid it out there. It's. It's not like when we've watched other shows that have been either from, like, a defense point of view or a prosecution point of view where, you know, like The Staircase, we've got, like, great access to Michael Peterson's attorneys. We've got access to all the people involved on both sides of this issue here in Philadelphia with Larry Krasner coming in on the platform of reforming the DA's office. But I also was kind of surprised by, or I guess appreciative of, or I don't know, liked, was that people were really forthcoming and honest. So we have people that are honestly talking about what they like about what he's doing, We've got people talking about what they don't like about what he's doing. You know, we've got people that have been friendly with him in the past that remain friendly with him, but also aren't afraid to talk about their reservations, about some of the ways that he's going about doing things. So I think the way that it's presented is done in such a thorough way that it really takes you inside what I mean, like I felt like I had a really accurate picture of not only the debate about what to do about criminal justice in that area, but how it was actually playing out in real time. Now, Kevin, as you know, I work with the Undisclosed team
0: on their podcast. Yeah. And they did like four series in a row about corrupt Philadelphia police and criminal justice. There are in Philadelphia in the 80s and 90s, there were many, many, many cases, which we've seen on many documentaries we've looked at, where cops... Literally wrote confessions and then told defendants it was a different form and made them sign. Like the the level of corruption in the city is unprecedented. Larry Krasner was actually a guest on one of those episodes that I produced before he was elected. And I remember thinking at the moment, like, everyone wants this guy to be elected. Um, I guess the best national analog is like Bernie Sanders who wants to just like burn down Mm -hmm. the capitalist system. Except Larry Krasner, by the way, is much more like, um, I hate to say palatable, but he just is like, you know, he doesn't come across as like the wild haired This is like a crazy
2: guy. Yeah, well, right. not, I
0: want to say Bernie Sanders is crazy, but there's, no, just, well, I, yeah, there's definitely I'm just... like an image thing there where he was a long time working defense attorney, but he was elected. My sense when I started watching this was this was going to be like the AOC, like election documentary. Did you get the sense that that's what this was yeah. supposed to be?
2: Well, yeah, I think they, yeah, and I think that's probably why the uh, the documentarians got on board. It could have been, and it by itself, I'm sure it would have been as interesting as ones like Weiner, which was Anthony Weiner behind the scenes on his mayoral oh race. Oh, my
0: God, his poor. And
2: man. Knocked Down the House, which featured a bunch of candidates, including AOC, the only one who won. But the idea, like, oh, now we've got an even better story where, you know, we thought we were done in November we're just going to keep going and come into this office and see from the inside this is fascinating yeah the 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 access and because whenever you have a story whether it's nonfiction or science fiction or anything like that there's a few things you want you want a hero you want conflict in the story and well hopefully you get a, a resolution but with that hero you want you know what you need is some hubris Right? It creates the tension there. Larry Krasner is a guy who thinks he can change the system. Love him or hate him, that's who he is. And so his presence alone is going to create a lot of tension inside this office with people that you know have spent 30, 40 years, spent their entire career doing something in a certain way that they see themselves as good guys and now they're told that they're bad guys. Really interesting.
0: Well, that's the most interesting part to me because Toby, we hear that Larry Krasner comes in, immediately just fires everyone he knows to be either a bad actor or somebody who has perpetrated bad practices. They're just gone. But then he gives a bunch of people who just sort of have had the job a long time. And just maybe we're like riding the, the, the system because that's the way it worked. He gives them an opportunity to like, you know, maybe change. And I think the best example of that is the woman who's running the child and family unit who had been there forever. And she seems well-meaning and she had a whole process. And literally, it's like, yeah, you may think this is the right way to do it, but I want to change stuff. And so you can't take time. You need to make the change Now, you can make the changes. I just think you don't have to destroy the system to get the results you want. What did you think of that? Because there is this conflict between change takes time or let's just fucking change it now.
3: Yeah, I, I thought I thought her little arc was really interesting because I think there is, you know, Krasner comes in and he may just have four years. You know, there's no guarantee that he's going to be there past then. So there's not really the kind of we can get the lay of the land and then, you know, sort of incrementally do things. It's like, no, if you're going to really make that kind of change, knowing that the clock is potentially ticking, you just got to do it. And then so, yeah, this woman who's the manager of the juvenile section or something, um, like I had sort of mixed feelings about her because like I She seemed nice. (laughs) Yeah. and, And then like she, and they talk about it, is like the people who stuck around- Used to be the liberals in the office, right? Mm -hmm. And then suddenly they're the conservatives. And I thought one of the really interesting scenes that they kept in is when the guy who comes in, who had been one of Obama's advisors, comes in and is sort of leading that department. And he's like being critical. And she says, you know, can you just specifically tell me what you want me to change? Mm. And he doesn't really have an answer.
0: What do you see that we're not doing that you want to see? Because we're really kind of at a a little bit of a standstill of knowing who our population, who are the kids that are being held. What do you think we're missing, I guess, when it comes Uh, to that population?
2: There's no justification for what we're doing, guys. I really, there isn't. No, except we've been doing it for a long time.
3: Yeah, I mean, you could tell on her face is like, okay, that's fine. But like, if you're the guy who's in charge, what do you want us to do? Hmm. And so I I just thought that was kind of an interesting thing and that it must have been fairly frustrating to, you know, if you're really going to do this huge paradigm shift, you can't just say everything you're doing is wrong. We're going to do it differently. Like what exactly are things supposed to look like? You can't just say we want to have 40% less people in this thing. It's like, well, what criteria? What, you know, how's that going to work? So I kind of felt that. But at the same time, you know, from Krasner's and his people's perspective, it's like, look, you know, you're either helping out or you got to get out of the way. Right. There's no other way about it. We're not dragging you along, kicking and screaming like there's no time for that.
0: Laura, well, one of the things I think this is very interesting about this series is that it looks at all of Krasner's like – um policy positions in his campaign and like examines how he is working on each of those. And he's extremely hands-on, like down to individual cases. So one of the things that he ran on was not assigning the death penalty to cases. And that episode to me was so interesting because it underlines something that I've talked a lot about on this show and other shows that I've been on about how law enforcement and prosecutors, I don't want to say use. But they do use choice victims to and victims' families to sort of underline the thing that they want. The fraternal order of police uses them. So this guy committed the murder, and the cops and the prosecutors only focused on the family members who wanted the death penalty and not the ones who didn't want the death penalty. And you know, Larry Kresner and his staff are just like, no, you have to look at the whole picture. Doesn't that feel familiar, that whole sort of like the using the family of his victims as props? Because we talk about that a lot and how that's a huge part of systemic failure.
1: Yeah, that's one of the things is that we saw in a couple cases in different episodes of this documentary where the family of the victim, and I apologize, my dog is barking. You can hear him. Can't he discuss. has feelings about criminal justice. <laughs> he, he's, I know. He's, he's been rage well- barking. T- He's like, no. So, you know, you do see in these cases when you have a family spokesperson who is willing to get out and get in front of the camera that the prosecutor's office cultivates that and uses it to kind of further whatever position they're taking on the case. And on one hand, I appreciate that victims' families are being given a voice, But on the other hand, sometimes I feel like how authentic is it in certain cases where they're just propping people up and putting them out there? Right. So, you know, I think that was a really interesting case. I mean, that wasn't – there was two other episodes that really, like, hit me a little bit more than that. But if it's the one you're talking about, the death penalty case, I mean, I think one of the things – I don't know why this just struck me, but, like, the guy that was going to eventually get out was, like, dating this, like, school principal. Yeah. And then –
0: and she I, was rad. Yeah, exactly. So like a huge thing here, Toby, is about sentencing and juvenile sentencing. And, you know, the documentary, like a lot of things that we've watched and listened to, but I think this documentary does make an incredibly compelling case, especially with the case Laura was just talking about, where people who commit crimes, data shows that once you reach the age of like 30 or 35 or 40, the thing that you know, is in your brain, the thing that impels you to commit the crime just it dissolves and disappears. And Krasner's take is sentences should not be so long that the, you, you then end up with like a good, productive person who's still in prison just for the sake of keeping them in prison. There's a lot of conflict there. Right, Toby?
3: Yeah. So I think there's a couple things there. One is the fact that Krasner is using like data and science Rather than emotion and politics to guide his decision making, I think is is sort of a paradigm shift in Philadelphia. But I think the larger thing that you kind of get over the course of these episodes is that you know the justice system in Philadelphia is really about controlling you know essentially black people. Yeah, uh, I think they said at one point it's like eighty five percent of the of the kids in juvenile or whatever. I might be getting that slightly wrong. But between locking up and then uh, under under supervision afterwards, and then as you they sort of explored a little bit more, and they, and they talked to like that judge, and they talked to some police people, and you realize that part of that whole thing is that there's like this sort of systemic belief that if you don't have a threat of punishment over black people, that they're going to do bad things.
0: Yeah. Doesn't that sound familiar? Like that's yeah, just, the, I mean- it's not hard to draw that line between criminal justice and slavery. Like it's, it's Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Well, I mean, that's sort of what the new Jim Crow's about, which we talked about on the deep dive. So yeah, and that judge just basically says it. it's like you can't just use a carrot, you gotta have the stick. Mm-hmm. You know? Um so I don't really think those points are very arguable. I think it's pretty freaking clear. I don't know if everybody who's in the system who's Doing that sort of has that bigger picture, but from this, it seems pretty clear that that's what it's about, and that's what Krasner, I think, understands, which is this isn't a moral system. This is not a system of justice. This is a system of control of certain parts of the population, and that if we want an actual justice system, you really got to start with an entirely different outlook, and that's really the challenge, because most of the people, the uh, Pennsylvania Attorney General, the cops the fraternal order of police like they're invested in that system like yeah. they don't understand what's wrong with that system that system seems to work and that that's what he's going up against
2: you know one of the things i found really interesting was their statistics about supervision yes because we do think about mass incarceration and when they talk about their prison population that 54% of the people in jail are there because of a probation or parole violation yes it's like, well, but then also you find out that these people are on supervision for up to 10 years, yes. and they get violated for things like missing meetings and maybe, you know, having alcohol in the house. Sometimes big stuff, yes, but if there's a problem with overpopulation, having to build, you know, more prisons, I mean, this seems like an interesting. And simple place to start. The problem is that discretion belongs to judges, judges, elected judges, elected political judges. The the whole thing is, yeah, you got to be tough. You got to be tough. You got to be tough without any thought about whether it works or whether it's the right thing.
0: It's incredible to me. I mean, the story they used for the supervision episode was incredible. Uh, They chose this woman who had been incarcerated, who got out, decided to become an advocate for criminal justice reform and added a forum was offered a job with whose office, Laura? Was she offered a job with the Public Defender's Office? the Public Defender's
1: Office. And
0: we see this woman, like, advocating, working at this criminal justice job, and literally on the precipice of going back to prison every single day. I'm on probation until 2027. I have to report
2: weekly. I'm on high risk. Mandatory
1: anger management, mandatory drug and alcohol, weekly visits here. That's the episode that I think enraged me more than almost any other episode. And it's been a couple years, obviously, like since actually before we started this podcast, since I've been working within the criminal justice system. But I don't ever, ever remember a case that I handled having 10 years of freaking probation? Like, you'd have to be like an axe murderer times like 30 in New Hampshire. I mean, it's insane. But wait, that's probation.
2: Coming off of parole. Yeah.
1: Right. Coming
0: it's off of a prison sentence. Ins- it's like Suave. It's what the podcast Suave it's was yeah. About, right?
1: insane. It, it's and like it, you're better doing the whole sentence. Yeah. Because at least you can walk out of jail and that's it. Like seeing the line of people going into that building to check in for their supervision, to go check in with their POs. But listening, like here's somebody who's clearly doing the right thing, has a job. It's like they have people on probation just for the sake of having them on probation. And it's not accomplishing anything. And there was actually that study that they referenced that after, I want to say it was like two years, it was actually detrimental to have somebody on. It was no longer helping anything. But I was like, 10 freaking years? That episode? And then the other one that also tipped me over the edge was like, the kids going into juvenile placement for something like shoplifting and being in freaking placement for like nine months for yep. shoplifting like what the f I, I, that so those were the parts of this particular justice system that I felt the most like oh my god like you mean the American one yeah but in. <laughs> it, Philadelphia is extreme. I will say it's
0: extreme. Yeah.
3: That stuff isn't about helping them. No. It's about keeping them under your thumb.
0: It's about control. You know what I kept thinking, Toby? It's risk management, and their
3: view is extreme.
0: Well, it's not. But here's the thing. So, listen, I know that I'm going to get emails about this. I'll take them. So the whole take from a criminal justice system like this Cops can make mistakes. They can accidentally shoot people. They can arrest the wrong person. They can make the wrong call. They can maybe on purpose shoot somebody, whatever, but it's a dangerous job. They can make mistakes. Prosecutors can make mistakes. They can accidentally convict the wrong person. They can, you know, maybe like ask for the wrong sentence. Judges can make mistakes. They can maybe take somebody like that woman who worked in the public defender's office. Maybe she's on probation too long. Whatever. We made a mistake there. A black person who did something when they were 15, makes one mistake, like, I don't know, thinking their meeting is on a Wednesday instead of a Tuesday, and they're going back to prison? Mm -hmm. That is how the system is built. It is completely fucked up. What I love about the series is that we see Larry Krasner... You know we are so used to people coming into office who are optimistic and have progressive views and think the right thing. then they come up against the system and the change they have to make is so incremental. It's like, well, we didn't get this, but at least we got this tiny thing. He's just like, no. like the tiny thing is not happening. Like I am meeting with all the it's not happening. But it does really speak to Kevin like coming in and, and trying to break down a system. It's also like, Almost impossible.
2: Yeah, I'm sure he touches on like all the big issues that we've talked about and does great jobs of, you know, portraying it in Philly D.A. But really, the juice in this is Larry Krasner and his attempt to reform from the inside and the tensions that creates. And you see it among his staff. You definitely see it among the police, other politicians, victims, you know, and of himself. Right. He's an interesting person to watch. You, like I said you have to have hubris in order to do this.
0: To let cameras follow you around yeah, all the time. And, yeah. In addition well, to yes, doing yeah. what he's trying to do. In
2: addition to doing what you're trying to do, he feels like, hey, I'm putting out a message. I don't know necessarily if he thinks it's all about him personally, but he does feel like he's somebody who is part of a movement or 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 whatever. But just the idea that he is trying to do this in the face of you know a machine that's been in place for decades and decades and decades. That he's going to be the one who's going to turn, and you also kind of feel a little bit like, yeah. what is the next district attorney going to do? They're going to continue this philosophy, because the other district attorneys just took the philosophy of their predecessor: lock them up, be tough, and look. Voters thought that way for a long time. Uh, DA, well, that's I guess what we want them to do. But they've sent somebody on trial; they want to get a conviction, yada yada. But we're starting to see the difference. That look, that didn't work. In order to find stuff that does work, that works for the justice system, for the government, for our finances, for the betterment of society, for the individuals that are accused and the individuals who have been victimized that we have to rethink this. Yeah. And he's saying we're going to and I finally I'm not an activist. I am the man. Yeah. I have the power to do this and try to push people aside. This is really interesting to watch.
0: Toby, that's my question for you, is that we talk on this podcast all the time about all the things that are wrong with the criminal justice system, systemic racism, You know, all the things that are wrong with it. Here we have a guy who has been elected because of the fact that he wants to change it, and he's not patient, he's not willing to just sort of work the way it is and make incremental, he wants to change it now. We see the disruption that causes and how difficult it is for everyone to swallow. And by the way... One note, Kevin. Why is it always the greasiest looking person who's always the fraternal order of police? Oh right? my god! <laughs> anyway, I think the, I
2: think the rank and file, honestly, is that we want to find the biggest dick—the <laughs> guy who's not going to compromise and be an asshole. Because in the end, you know, it benefits us as union members because we're going to get a and better contract. And he always contract, looks
0: like the but worst always human looks being. like yeah. He always is the guy you want to punch the most. Anyway, exactly. So, Toby, what well, we see how hard it is. We see how much disruption it causes. We see all that stuff, and as viewers, we're like, ugh. Oh, this seems really hard. Is it worth it? Is it whatever? But this is what we want, right? Yeah. So like, what do you do about the hard parts? Like, what do you do about them? You just say, fuck it and just keep shoveling the snow anyway?
3: Yeah. What else can you do? Yeah. I mean, I, I, the system in, in Philadelphia is so off in its goals and its results that, again, I think if you take a look at it holistically and you have sort of the same kind of viewpoint about things that I do, which I think is pretty close to the way Kratzner looks at it. It's like, this isn't really something you can like pick at the edges at mm-hmm. and make better. Right. You know, the the very basic things that it is trying to accomplish are, are illegitimate. They're not helpful. They're frankly racist, but they're not creating a better city. Mm. They're not keeping people safer. And he's got the data to show that. So in that case, I think it is a matter of you got to burn it down. And it's tough because you can't like take some time off. You can't take six months and say, okay, we're going to just take a pause and we're going to do all this stuff and then we're going to come back and we're going to like be going. It's like all these other things are going on at the same time that you're trying to affect this change. And you still got tons and tons of cases, you know, these crises come up, you're having to make all these decisions at the same time, you're really trying to change the paradigm And you're swimming against a super, super strong tide. And as far as you know, you have four years. Right. So my biggest criticism of the series is that they get into this kind of formula where there's sort of a themed episode. And it's kind of split between a story about the theme and then what Krasner and his people are doing about that particular issue. And I kind of felt like sometimes the stories they were using to illustrate it weren't as interesting as what was going on in the DA's office. And I wish they'd kind of stuck more with the DA's office stuff because I thought that was fascinating. And I actually didn't even really need those other stories. I thought some of them were really compelling anyway, but I could have just followed the politics for the entire Seventy-five hours, or however long it was, and, and been perfectly happy.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know should they check out Philly Da. Uh, it is on PBS. But if you want to watch the full series, which actually hasn't been released by the time we're doing this review, right? A couple episodes left to go. You can check out the full series
1: on PBS Passport. Larbricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Philly Da? Yeah, this is a thumbs up. I mean, obviously, this is something that is like near and dear to my heart, having worked as a public defender and worked in the criminal defense world. And I feel like this particular documentary is extremely thorough. The people that are featured are candid. They're honest. And it gives you a really well-rounded picture of kind of the existing state of the criminal justice system in Philadelphia. And I came away feeling like, The type of change that needs to happen and the type of change that they are trying to accomplish in this documentary aren't things that are going to happen in the four-year term or whatever the term is that this guy is going to be the DA. But I think it's a really good window into the system, and if you didn't understand what the issues were – you certainly are going to when you finish this documentary. And you get to see this one judge who, by the way, I kind of appreciated was totally off the radar, goes and like goes to the community service hours with the defendants, which I kind of appreciated. <laughs> Toby Ball, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Philly DA
0: on PBS?
3: Well, I think uh, Krasner just won the Democratic primary. So did. which he yeah. means he's going to get another yeah. four Pretty years. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Which is good. Um, yeah, I thought parts of this were like super inspiring. You know, I'm sure there'll be people who have sort of a different outlook on things who find it absolutely frustrating. Um, but I think, you know, what he's trying to do uh, is I, I wish there was more people trying to do this. Hmm. And I think Philly's a tough, I mean, Philly's a huge city and they're hugely entrenched. And I think he's like, it's almost like you are you're taking the toughest possible place to do it and trying to use that as the model. Yeah. So I, again, I think I, I said the thing about how I, I, I kind of wish they'd done a little bit less on the side stories and, and stayed with him a little bit more. And then the, I, you know, the other part of it is just, it's, it's a story about institutions and, and how, you know, it's like a battleship. Yeah. It's really hard to turn around. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, big thumbs up, really liked it. Um, the end.
0: Kevin Flynn.
2: Yeah. I'm a thumbs up. Um, this is, yeah, absolutely a liberal wet dream. Aaron Sorkin <laughs> watches this jerking off in front of his TV. It's, <laughs> it's part social experiment, um, but also part social reform documentary. It's really interesting to see what's going to happen. Look, on, just on a personal documentary basis, the idea of being a fly on the wall inside a machine that somebody is trying to take apart is really interesting to watch, and it's the right guy at the right time. And, uh, I mean, I think we all would have really enjoyed maybe binging the whole thing because we all liked it enough that we could have done that because I'm really interested in seeing how he handles, like, Black Lives Matter and social issues, justice issues around coronavirus and things like that, and just sort of where he gets. We see, like, the difficulty he has getting things done – uh, or the wins that he does have in the early parts of his term, and so uh you know i'm I'm really, really enjoying philly d a It's a a real achievement.
0: I want philly d a to be a multi year series. I mean, this to me could be season one, there could be a season two, there could be a season three. I agree with Toby that watching somebody try to break down a system and and put it back together from inside the office is fascinating. I also, by the way, will disagree with you, Toby, in terms of the human interest stories because I also appreciate that is what people who don't agree need in order to change their mind. Like you and I are walking into this like we need to break this whole shit down. But a lot of people aren't walking into this with that. Think about the PBS audience, like, you know, people who might be afraid because they've believed all of the messaging about how scary crime is. And, you know, so like watching the human interest stories is important to them. So I understand why they're there. I think this show is a huge achievement. I hope they make more. And this isn't just the only season of it. I find Larry Krasner to be a fascinating character. And it's so well made that even if he were a person I hated, I would still watch it. Like, it's just that well done. So huge thumbs up for me for Philly DA. I really hope everyone listening to this podcast who loves Undisclosed, who loves any kind of media that's about righting wrongs that you just can't believe were ever created in the first place? Please watch this series. I think we're gonna be talking about it for a long time. Huge thumbs up for me for Philly DA. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime, crime of, of the week. The week. The town of Gulfport, Florida is buzzing. Police want to talk to two women who walked into a bar and walked out with a bucket full of vibrators yes the manager at sally's bar was left shook i see what she did there kevin he says 13 sex toys were on display as part of an upcoming vibrator race for charity he says after they put the surveillance video online the woman called the bar to say they thought the bucket was actually filled with darts we are very unsure how they would throw those particular darts. Full fist. But police initially said the value of the stolen items was $200, which is pretty good price for more than a dozen vibrators, gotta say. So, panel, here's my question for you. It looks like this vibrator race will go on, whatever the fuck that is.
2: I, I Googled vibrator race. And it's not what you think. All right. At least know, it wasn't what I thought can you it was. Post a video be. of
0: it in our show notes. So people can. <laughs> no, see. it cannot. All right. It definitely cannot. So just like a thoroughbred racehorse, every entrant should have a good name. Laura Bricker, what vibrator would
1: you pick for the win? Uh, I'm going to tell you, but first, uh, so you guys, I've seen one of these before. Oh God!
2: The vibrator races.
1: Yes. At the Jimmy Buffett concerts. They had them in the parking lot. (laughs) Of course they did. Um, So I'm going to take the low-hanging fruit in this dildo derby here, and it's going to be the crotch rocket nice yeah. what about you
0: toby what vibrator horse would you pick for the win
3: dildo baggins <laughs>
2: ah, yeah, yeah. what
0: about you kevin
2: the yeller rose of texas
0: listen everybody with kids in their car right now is never listening to this podcast again sorry moms you're
2: gonna say steely dan
0: that's true all right so uh lara bricker
1: before we end the show uh do we have a cat of the week this week <laughs> So our cat of the week this week comes to us from Erin Brumfield Grima, and I like it because the cat has three names. I I don't know about you guys, but all my animals end up having multiple names. Our cat, Bill Burrow Mewow, I think is how we say it. Bill was his shelter name. Burrow is what the oldest seven-year-old at the time wanted to name him, and Mewow is what my youngest called him as a baby. He wanders our house crying whenever the three kids go outside to play. He sits in the window and sadly bemoans his kids leaving him inside, plotting his devious jailbreaks and making it out about every third exit or entrance, resulting in me yelling, get the cat, and the middle child running him down and scooping him up. We love him, and I'm sure he loves us. So I particularly love this cat because Rocky Flintstone... Does this as well? He sings the song of his people at the door all the time. See, did you see that? I did all the time, just like last all the time. time, all the time, just like just like a Long Islander, uh, just lazy your yeah. it all the all time, all the time. Rocky Flintstone time. sits at the door, meowing, and door. so I I totally appreciated this because um, I yell at everybody all day long too. So Bill Burrow, meow, good job. Our our bricker form. People want to submit their
0: pets of any kind, llamas, goats, emus, especially dogs to be cat of the week. You can always uh, email them to crime on at gmail.com or put them on our Facebook group. That's how we get the majority of our submissions. But occasionally, Laura, someone tweets a submission to you. If you want to do that, how can they find you on Twitter? Yeah, they can find me at Laura Bricker on Twitter. And Toby Ball, if folks want to like talk to you about your workout shower routine, how can they find you on Twitter?
3: I th- Those are secrets. Um, <laughs> but they can find me at Toby Ball NH.
0: Go Wizards. Is that what we're doing right now? Wizards?
3: Go Go Wizards. Uh, if you listen to Strange Arrivals and want to leave a, a, a rating,
0: that yeah. would be awesome. Fucking rate and review Strange Arrivals only if you're going to give it five stars. Kevin Flynn, if folks want to reach out to you on Twitter, how can they find you?
2: Siri, what's the score of the Washington Wizards game? Yeah, don't Wizards fucking game?
3: even kid about that. <laughs> I'm at Kevin P.
0: I'm Flynn. I'm muting. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at RebLavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime On, And I encourage you to join really our truly amazing and supportive community and our official Crime Raiders on Facebook discussion group, a group that many of the members say is the best group they've ever belonged to. Support the show at Patreon. That includes church. It does. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media and you will get the Crime Raiders on After Show, Married with Podcast, Laura Bricker's Leave it to Bricker Podcast and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club Podcast. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the incredibly handsome Olivia Burdett. She's painting houses this summer, too. You know that, right? Mm. The executive producer of this fine podcast is Kevin P. Flynn. This show was recorded in the Ogle of the Bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where we hack into the major Hollywood studios to prevent them from making a movie based on the podcast manslaughter don't do it on behalf of all the crime writers thanks so much for listening we will catch you
2: later later is that better than the cat that jumped eight floors out of a burning building and then just bounced and ran away
3: yeah yeah they can do that there's like a huh. there's like a death zone for cats that's like yeah. between like three and six floors but then when you get higher they like spread out like a parachute and they can lift. yeah
1: I learned about that in cat detective
0: school I'm so glad that you went to cat detective school so you can continue to say <laughs> I learned about that in cat detective <laughs> school it's sort of like people, people are like but actually when I was
1: a political science major I
2: learned
3: <laughs> that actually sounds like another another t-shirt for our merch table
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: what, what, what is it
1: I learned about that in cat detective school I learned school. about
2: that in cat detective <laughs> school perfect
1: <laughs> Thank you.
2: Is in crime, crime media. media.